The Emotional Toll of Infertility I've been on my own personal journey with unexplained infertility that thankfully has resulted in two babies and a third on the way. But every story has its own path. In my talks with women and friends who have been down this road before, there's one thing that rings true. At some point, you're going to feel overwhelmed, sad, angry, confused, and heartbroken. And all of these things are perfectly normal. You can work with somebody as long, as much as possible, but if you pee on that stick and it's negative, it doesn't matter the amount of therapy hours or um, insightful hours you've put in. It is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, and you, you go back to the bottom and you have to climb back up because all the work you've done, everything you've tried, it, it failed again, and all you want is that is that double line, is that smiley face. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission here at Juna is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the sixth part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about the emotional toll infertility can take on the lives of those it affects and the people around them. By the end of this episode, you should have some tools to help you process many of these emotions, learn the things to say and do if your friend or family member is going through infertility, and set yourself up for success if you're just beginning your trying to conceive journey. To kick things off, I chatted with Rebecca Rosler, a licensed master social worker and doula who serves as a guide for women who are in the family planning process, undergoing fertility treatments, pregnant, or adjusting to being a brand new mom. Here are the things she tells all of her clients when they are just starting out with her. I wish I could, you know, shout from the rooftops that I wish people earlier in their in their journey understood better how how it works and what what fertility challenges can present themselves. So just to be uh, prepared and maybe tested and and know as much as you can before you enter into it, because once you enter into it, it's sometimes a little bit too late. Um, you've kind of missed the boat, unfortunately. So I always you know, anybody that I'm speaking to, I remind your friends if they haven't started yet, just to get checked out or tested or have that conversation, just to get things moving along. Uh, I also say that there is absolutely no certainty in any of this journey. You know, some people say, "Oh, well, I'll do IVF and I'll get pregnant." That is unfortunately very untrue. Some people, yes, like me, I got very lucky. Some people, it takes years and years and years and years and years. Everything is anecdotal. Not everything. That's inaccurate. There are websites that have have concrete information. Um, there are certain things about nutrition. Then there are certain things about Eastern medicine and Western medicine. And there's so many different views on what can help or what will help or what won't help. The problem is um, there's so many things that it's hard to really focus on. I my my personal approach was I'm gonna do what this doctor says. I'm going to go to acupuncture. I'm going to take these herbs, and that's what I'm doing. Some people will go to different countries to try different things. Some people just say I'm going to the doctor. I'm listening to the doctor. That's it. Some people will study and research for decades trying to figure out you know whatever what their diagnosis is. What if there's some person in some other country that did something? Can they follow that doctor? There's just so much around the fertility space, and some of it's going to work for you, and some of it isn't. But there is no absolute that is going to to be a blanket statement that is going to work across the board for everybody. Every protocol is different. Every female body is different. Every process is different. What might work for you the first time doesn't mean it's going to work for you the second time. Um, I think a lot of people also who understand the fertility journey, there's a, there's something called PGS testing and PDS testing. There's different types of testing that you do on, uh, on embryos to see if there's a likelihood of abnormality. Sometimes you might get a perfectly tested embryo and transfer it and it ends up, you end up miscarrying 
just because, because there was something that wasn't caught or because it wasn't actually perfect or it was perfect, but it, you couldn't carry it. And people said, but it was tested and the doctor said it was perfect and this is the embryo that was going to work, but it didn't. And even in there, it, it's so, we were talking about control before. I find a lot of people in the space end up being very type A personalities, either maybe, maybe there's reason, maybe it's coincidental, maybe it's not. Um, but type A is generally very controlling and we are desperate to control this. And you, there's almost no aspect of this that you can control. And that is really, really hard. Ah, relinquishing control. Much easier said than done. One key way to relinquish control for the type A people who like to control things is find something that you can control, like what you eat, how much you exercise, who you spend your time with. Those things are in your control, but ultimately the outcome is not. It never will be. You can control the inputs, do everything right, but not necessarily wind up with a healthy baby at the end of this. This is not an easy thing to come to grips with, trust me, but it's all part of trusting the process. Guilt. Guilt can be a very common feeling that accompanies infertility. By definition, feeling guilty means you feel you did something wrong and while your intellectual side knows we haven't, feelings of guilt can keep rearing its ugly head. In some instances, guilt can be a good thing because it leads to remorse. But guilt without causation can cause self-doubt, decreased self-esteem, and shame. Guilt rears its head in all different ways. So the people who are having secondary infertility, they have guilt. They have guilt about, well, I already have this perfect first child. And there's some people who have been struggling for six years or 15 years or however long to have their first. So I feel guilty that here I am wanting a second one, but I should just be cherishing the one that I have right here. And then the guilt and the pressure of feeling like you should be doing something or should be thinking something or should not be wanting something that is, um, that's very real. And I see that with, with every, you know, in many different walks of life, people, even first time they say, you know, all I want is a child, but I have a wonderful marriage and the perfect husband. And I should just be so happy that my marriage is so perfect. And, you know, we have two great jobs and we're able to travel and I should be focusing on the good. And it's just, people often, and this is probably in all of motherhood or all of the journey of motherhood, but people feel guilty no matter where they find themselves because somebody else has a different somebody else's life is worse or harder or more challenging or something in their life has been more devastating. And so we always say, oh, well, you know, I have, I'm at least lucky or I have it good or, you know, I could, it could be this for me. So I think that people just, everybody is probably too hard on themselves. And especially in this journey, a lot of women's, I think probably the number one theme that I see is women feeling like their bodies have failed them. Like I should be able to carry a child. That's literally what my body is built for. What, how can, how am I not able to do the one thing that I'm supposed to do? You know, this is all in air quotes, of course. How, how is my body not doing the one thing that it's supposed to do? And I try to, I, I try to have the conversation that, yes, some female bodies are built to carry a baby and some female bodies are not. And some people are, you know, everything in life is different. Some people need wheelchairs. Some people need canes. Some people, you know, are, are brilliant and savants and some people are not. We are all built for different things and capable of doing different things. It doesn't make us any better or any less than the other, other female body out there. So I try to just kind of refocus that sometimes we're not able to do the things we want to do. And, and as hard as that is, we then just need to figure out an alternative to that, whether it's surrogacy, whether it's adoption, whether it's um, you know, whatever it may be. It's, it's about when I talk to all of my clients, I always say, okay, ultimately and truly, what is it that you want in five years, in 10 years? Some people say, I want my sanity back. 
Some people say, I want another child. Some people say, I want my marriage to last. And depending on what they really were able to dig down deep and determine or decide for themselves, that's what we work towards. If some people say, I just want, I, I just want a family, whatever that looks like, then we start having the conversation about what are different ways to grow a family. Some people, I want to, I want to carry my own baby. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes that's not. So, um, you know, it's, it's different among everybody, but there are some common themes and, and common goals. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have, as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. We've touched on miscarriages a bit in previous episodes, but this conversation I had with Amy Klein, author of The Trying Game, was one of my favorite synopsis of what you might experience after having a miscarriage. Pregnancy and motherhood after loss. The expectations don't stop. People just want just, you know, it's the just that kills me. They yeah. just want you to be happy. Why can't you enjoy this? Um, and my doctor said it right. You know, you're not going to be happy until you have this baby in your arms. So pregnancy after loss, maybe for some people, it's just after you pass, you know, when you lost your last baby. Like, I've, I think my latest miscarriage was at 10 weeks. So once I passed the first trimester, I was a little bit happier. But just knowing, you know, you begin to, you always think pregnancy is going to be easy. And then you think it's going to be like the montage in the movies. Oh, you get your pregnancy, you know, your happy pregnancy test, then you're rubbing your belly and then you're in the hospital and that's it. <laughs> you know, three scenes and that's it. And once you've had a loss, you're, it's a miracle that all this goes right. And once you do IVF, you can't believe that pre- people even get pregnant naturally. But for anyone who's experienced loss, whether you've had a baby or not, it, it just opens you up to the fact that it could get lost at any time. And I think that's very nerve wracking and you might not be as ecstatic as you were if you just got pregnant or even got pregnant through IVF and never had a loss. So it could be very nerve wracking and people could have expectations upon you to be happier and be more enjoyable. 
But again, it goes back to that chapter on regrets. You have to, you feel what you feel and you have to just accept that. And maybe it's okay, like my doctor said, is you're only going to be super happy when you have that baby in your arms. Yeah. It, and I, I was talking to a, um, a psychologist on this. And I also was like, you know, and I imagine that if you've experienced pregnancy loss, that even if when, even if and when that baby is in your arms, like you still have a higher degree of anxiety than someone who hasn't experienced loss. Cause I know with my, it wasn't as much with my daughter cause I didn't experience any loss between the two of them. And I'd had my son for two years, but like I would check on my son's breathing the first three months, like in an like overly like anxious way. I would just be like, is he still breathing? Oh my God, I can't see his chest. I mean, it was insane. And I like, I have to assume that that was probably some pent up stuff from my experience. And she said that most people that experience pregnancy loss actually do have a higher rate of postpartum anxiety than someone who doesn't. So um, For sure. I don't have anything to compare it to. And I, you know, my daughter who like made us throw the baby camera out of her room recently, <laughs> she basically took it down herself because I could check it on my phone. So I was right. just constantly watching it. And I don't, I think infertility and definitely pregnancy loss made me more anxious. And I think I used to be type B or not, or more laid back. And my husband will definitely say that I'm not. So I think it made me definitely more anxious. And in some ways, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not grateful for it at all. I would like to have just gone straight from that first or second pregnancy straight to a baby. But yes, <laughs> I think it made some of the, some of the things that people are anxious about, it, you know, like which stroller to buy. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like right. how am I going to get here with all this equipment? oh, have you seen my medicine cabinet? So I'm not going to say that I'm grateful for it. It might have prepared me for some things in motherhood that it might might have been harder to get prepared for, but I was definitely more anxious. And I, I don't think that I, I used to say I, when I was doing fertility treatment, I would say, oh, I'm never going to complain. I will never complain about my child because yeah. it's so annoying when you're infertile and you're watching all these parents complain. And then I was you know, after six months, I thought, okay, you know what? I think I am going to be able to complain. <laughs> it's not fair. I want to be able to complain too. Yes. Oh my God. I, I have talked about that before, but I, I feel like it's like you almost have PTSD where you're afraid to complain or to or voice any discontent because you wanted this so badly. But like, I hated pregnancy. I hated every minute. I hate, I've hated oh, wow. every minute okay. of every pregnancy. And I felt bad like complaining because I was just like, I mean, I've, I've spent two years and a lot of effing money to get me here. Like, I should be so grateful. And other people would do whatever they could to be in my position. So, but, but at the end of the day, like, these are, this is my experience and I like can't kick myself because I'm having it. And it, it did take me a while though too, especially even when I had my son, like to be like, no, I'm so grateful to not sleep and wake up every two hours and I <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm so right. I'm so grateful. But you know what? It's the same thing with a husband. I mean, I wanted one. Yeah. But I, and does that mean I never get to talk about him any bad things? Exactly. Wait. And speaking of husbands.
when you start out on this journey to motherhood, you both of you are like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. Lots more sex. And then it becomes by rote. Okay, well, I just beat on the stick. It's time for sex, which is not going to be enjoyable. Neither of us are going to have fun, but I'm going to lay here. You're going to do this because this is the one day of the, of the month that this might happen. And then if it's month after month after month, there's nothing romantic about it anymore. And you've removed all the fun out of it. And then that is, you know, I think that a lot of people who are not well-versed in what to say or what not to say uh, for somebody going through this. A lot of people say, well, probably if you just relax, you know, it, it'll be better. Or if you, if you don't stress out, or if you like the, the things you want to say to that person, um, you know, death stares, because no, of course you're not just going to get pregnant. If you relax, no, you're not going to just get pregnant. If you stop stressing, you've been being on a stick for a year and a half. Your husband now knows that on Wednesday of you know this week, he has to come home and have sex with you at this minute and this hour. Nothing is sexy and romantic about that. But at the end of the day, I also, as much as I would never say that to anybody, truth be told, if your body is in a healthier place and you are less stressed and you, if you are more relaxed, you know, of course, we know things are psychosomatic. If you're depressed, your body feels that. If your brain feels one way, your body is affected. So as much as you would never say that to somebody, when I am speaking with people and, 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 and just connecting with people, I say, is there any way you can go have a girl's weekend? Is there any way you can go on a beach vacation? Is there any way you can, you and your husband can just go to a hotel for a night and, you know, have fun. Not maybe definitely not on the night you're ovulating, but just like, go do you again. Remember who you were when you met, when you were 30, is there a way to reintroduce pleasure, happiness, fun, joy, the reason you got with this person in the first place? Can you, can you do something that reminds you of that? Because it can be so, trying and almost miserable uh, to try to get pregnant, which takes all the joy out of, out of what you're aiming for. And, um, and that's, that takes its toll on, on both parties and absolutely on a relationship. Another important relationship to nurture and maintain is the one with your girlfriends. If you are the one experiencing infertility, it's important to understand their perspective and how they may be at a loss for what to say or do. If you are the friend or know someone who's going through infertility, the most important thing isn't to say the right thing. It's just to be there. Show up. I think, you know, I get a lot of texts from friends saying, my friend just miscarried. What do I do? They say, you have to be there. You just tell them that you are there. You tell them that you're coming over and making them a cup of coffee. You do whatever you can for them. If you know your friend is going for monitoring, if you can get, if you can take an early train one day and take her to the appointment, just go with her. Send her flowers on on a day that you know is going to be a tough day. Just be present. Just be available. Just be a friend. Because the worst thing you can do is nothing at all. And I think a lot of people are too scared to say the wrong thing. And you know what? You might you might say the wrong thing, but at least you tried. And no one's going to hold it against you long long term if you said something wrong. People know you want to help. Um, you have to be a friend. This is, this is all too common. And, and I guarantee anybody who's listening, I guarantee one, two, three, or five of your friends have gone through this, are going through this, will go through this. Um, and like I said, really being present is the most important thing. Being available is the most important thing. And just saying I'm here if, and when you want to talk is, is so meaningful because if you just stay silent and pretend like everything is fine, it's not, it's not. And that's only going to hurt. Through all of my conversations and experiences, the most tried and true method for dealing with anything and everything that came up was to talk about it. And while that was often the last thing I actually wanted to do, anytime I did, I immediately felt better. It's even more powerful when you're able to share your feelings in a community of people who are experiencing or going through a similar wave of emotions. Here's Rebecca, who runs multiple support groups, both online and in person, on the power of sharing your experience. Now that I've done both fertility and mom support groups, 
in a social way, in a um, therapeutic way, they're both just so helpful and empowering and uh, just wonderfully supportive. And you can be having the lowest moment, but if you're sitting either around a, a table, a room, or even online in a, in a, in a Facebook group, a private secret group, whatever it may be, to know that there are other people who are going along a very similar path as you. It's going to be different. Everyone's experience is different, of course, but to know you're not alone is so important because uh, it can be so, both motherhood and fertility journeys can be so challenging and so lonely because you feel like you're the only one going through something. You you feel like you can't talk about things. You feel guilty. You feel resentful. You feel angry. You feel sad. You feel all of these things, but you also feel guilty for feeling those things. But you are so not alone, and so many other people are having very, very similar feelings and approaches and thoughts and questions, uh, and to just know that other people are going through it and to be able to talk to those people and hear that you are not the only one having these either morbid or scary or frightening or whatever the thoughts are, you're not the only one having them. Other people are having the exact same thoughts or very similar thoughts. And to be able to talk about them, reconcile them, be upset together. Uh, it's very therapeutic to not be alone on this journey. And I think just having resources and support uh, through other people in a, in a peer space is, is wildly important. There are other countries have not fertility, but for, for mom groups, Australia, Canada, there are countries that as soon as you leave the hospital, you are set up with a group of 10 women and you are, you are forced to go meet them because they know how lonely and isolating and how prone to anxiety or depression women can get, especially, particularly if they are not surrounded by other people. Um, so I think anybody who's on this journey, whether it's one of my groups, whether it's another group, whether it's in person, whether it's online, find your group, find your tribe, find your crew, find your people, connect with them, talk with them. Don't do this alone. Okay, that's all for today's episode. If you're interested in the finer details and listening to my full conversations with both Amy and Rebecca, you can find the full interviews on our IGTV channel at Juna.moms on Instagram. You can find Amy Klein at the trying game underscore infertility book on Instagram or Rebecca at B-E-X-H-A-S-B-A-B-I-E-S on Instagram. If you have any questions, comments, or need some more guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. On the next episode, we'll be talking with Stephanie Valakis, a registered dietitian who specializes in fertility and the preconception phase. Thanks for listening and see you next week.